0: Have you ever wished you had been taught how to study the Bible in depth? Because that is exactly what our partners, Chasing Sacred, are all about. Creating resources for studying the Bible that meet practical needs while also maintaining strong biblical literacy. The way they structure their studies are so purposeful, and they help readers understand the historical and cultural context, which is so important. They actually just came out with a new study on the book of Ephesians, You Do Not Want to Miss It. Just don't forget to put code ABIDINGFREE for a 20% discount on any of their products. Click their link in our show notes and learn more about them at ChasingSacred.com.
1: Life can be messy and hard, but one of the things God has promised to give us is freedom. Freedom deep in our hearts that is not dependent on the ever-changing waves of circumstances, but set on the steadfast promises of God. This freedom gives us a secure identity, even with a broken past. It helps us have joy in parenting, even when we are completely exhausted. This freedom gives us love for our spouses even when they are unlovable, and it can give us purpose in our careers, even if it's not the one we want. But I feel stuck sometimes, don't you? What does it really mean that Christ has
0: set us free? That's why we're here. Welcome to the Abiding Free Podcast with Kristen and Shannon. We invite you to walk on this bumpy but beautiful journey toward freedom as we learn to abide in Him. Get ready for tears and laughter and everything in between, because this podcast is about living from the truth that, yes, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Welcome back to the Abiding Free podcast. Shannon here. I am so happy to be here with you today and so passionate about this conversation. I want to start because I believe we are in a battle. And among many things, I think there are two things I want to highlight that Satan is trying to do to the church, to us, to the bride of Christ. And that is one, to thwart our impact and our ability to be the light and walk in freedom by dividing us. And the second is by deceiving us you know, deceiving us about what evil is, blurring the lines. And I believe, you know, strategically, the reason he's doing this is because those two things go hand in hand. And I don't know about you, but the climate of the world today, and by that, I mean kind of the in-your-face moral decay, that right, isn't it exasperated by the mass media and the internet? It's just in our faces. You know, the deception, the propaganda, the death of innocent people, the murder of babies, you know, the unjust firing of people, probably people you love, uh, disease, I mean, so much more, uh, depending on where you live, right? Or, or what you personally are going through, things will just be popping to mind, right? We could just totally add to that list. And, you know, these things make me sad on one side and and scared on certain days, if I'm honest, um, but, but sometimes... I get almost, um, not in like a weird way, but almost excited because I know God is going to use this to refine the church, to separate the light and the dark, the children of God and those who are not. And, you know, we'll talk about this more in upcoming episodes, but I just think it's beautiful and an important thing to remember, you know, the clear, stark difference between the world and the church. You know, we've always seen this. This isn't like a new idea, right? In Ephesians 4 and 5, Paul draws this distinction between people of darkness and those in the light. And he tells us those of us in the light to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. It's just that is such a powerful truth. And the Bible teaches us that when that happens, right, when the church is unified and when we are being that light, what happens? People see it and they're saved. And that's not what Satan wants, right? So he's going to try and strategically mess with those two things, our unity and the clarity of this light. So this conversation, I really just hope it's a reminder to all of us to stay vigilant. You know, like Jesus says in Matthew 10, to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, kind of identifying uh, these cunning strategies that Satan has. All right. So first, how is he trying to divide us? Let's focus on one recent way he has done this. And I believe it's by using what I call the perpetual pendulum. We as humans have this tendency to constantly swing from one extreme to the other, usually reacting to the wrong we see on one of the extremes, right? I mean, gosh, I've seen this in little things, in big things, just all the time. We as humans do this. And Satan uses this because when we sit on one extreme of a personal conviction, right? We have a subconscious tendency. I know I do, you know, to judge even slightly in like our hearts, even on the other side of the pendulum. And then that judgment kind of pushes us further to our extreme side and then further to their side, you know, and I think we saw this happening the last couple of years, um, especially with how believers responded to COVID, to government mandates. And I think moving forward, there's just going to be more and more examples with where the world's going, I mean, think about it, like the specific instructions on what we as individuals in different geographic regions and different situations should do in response to things that our governments, no matter what country you're in, are are mandating, are commanding. So especially like, let's talk about COVID, you know, or whatever future disaster awaits. The correct response is not clearly laid out black and white in scripture, Yet I have heard many, many Christians treat their personal convictions as if they were absolute truth, right? On one side of the pendulum, you, you have people in this example that we're talking about over the last couple of years with COVID reaction. Um, you have people after studying God's word who did not feel biblically convicted to follow, you know, arbitrary mandates that that are not necessarily constitutional, Right. And standing up for what they or we feel God has called us to, um, and, and maybe God has called certain people even to stand up vocally against this injustice and devote time to fighting it. But what happens is a line is crossed when people, those of us, whoever on this side of the pendulum begins to demoralize and judge others specifically in the family of Christ who disagree with them. There is such a powerful verse in Romans 14 that says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. See, and then on the other side, bear with me through this example, then on the other side, you have Christians who believe you should follow all mandates coming from the government, right? Quoting Romans 13, that's their interpretation of that, Um, you know, and, and instead of just having that conviction, they jump to the far other side of the pendulum and start judging Christians who disagree and are standing up to what they feel is injustice. You know, and this is direct disobedience to Romans 14 on both sides. We're judging each other putting ourselves on the judge's seat about something that is not clearly black and white. I mean, talk about a pendulum swing. I mean, that's just one example. And, and this is not a new problem, this swing, you know, or, or a unique one that's even unique to the church. You know, people for thousands of years, right, have struggled with finding balance, right? The center, seeing both sides without compromising on truth and black and white issues, you you see this in all different religions um, and, and throughout philosophy, Aristotle and even Plato and Socrates. They talked about this. Gosh, it was like 300 years before Jesus was born on this earth where they talked to spoke to humanity about finding the golden mean right? The desirable middle between two extremes, you know, and and really we see this from scripture. Solomon talks about it in Ecclesiastes 7, where he says, the man who fears God avoids all extremes. Okay, so if you're with me, and we acknowledge that this is a problem, right? This going from one extreme to the next, and this is a strategy, a tactic Satan uses to divide us, then how can we avoid falling into extremes that thwart our unity, one way is for us to have a clear, clear understanding of the beauty, of the balance and diversity in Jesus' example. Jesus, right? He's who we're supposed to follow. There's this awesome article on desiring God uh, that John Piper wrote, and he talks about he talks about this. He talks about a choir right? Picture a choir. I was in choir in high school, and there was actually this one time that I got to do this special multicultural honor choir. And there was, I don't even know, there was probably, uh, gosh, there had to be close to 80 students in this choir. And we were in this old church with these incredible acoustics. And I have this vivid memory when we were singing, and there was so many different parts, right? There was men's voices Boy, you know male voices, female voices, and then among the female voices there was you know altos and there was sopranos and then there was tenors on the, on the boys' voices and sopranos and basses and so many different variations. And I have this vivid memory of standing in this church and singing and just being like overwhelmed with the beauty of the voices. right? And music music enthusiasts would know this. They would know that in a choir in music you want variation. Piper says, people who are good judges of character know that balance and blend is admirable in a person too. He says, the principle that I'm trying to illustrate and that makes Christ stand out as absolutely unique is this. Beauty or excellence consists in the right portion of diverse qualities. And we, like I said, have been called to be like Jesus. So we have to know who he is, right? Right. And he is complex and beyond understanding and beautiful. He is, I'm going to, well, I'll have this article linked in the show notes, but John Piper talks about how Jesus is glory mingled with humility. He's uncompromising justice tempered with mercy. He's majesty and meekness. He was worthy of all good, but he had amazing patience to suffer evil. He had sovereign dominion over the world, but he had a spirit of obedience and submission. He stumped the proud lawmakers and scribes with his wisdom and yet was simple enough to love to be with children and to spend time with them. We admire him because he could still the storm, but even more because he refused to use that power to strike the Samaritans with lightning, and he refused to use it to get himself down from the cross.
1: I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with motivation to get into God's word. And I love adding some aesthetic beauty and note-taking to my Bible study with the Mr. Pen Selah Bible Journaling Kit. This classy and beautiful kit comes with everything you need to add some fun and color to your study. This set comes with Bible tabs, highlighters and pens, stickers with a modern script font, gold cross paper clips, transparent sticky notes, and a lovely cream and gold supplies pouch to hold it all together. And today you can get a discount on the Selah Bible Journaling Collection on Amazon with the discount code SelahKit24. Use SelahKit24 on Amazon for a discount today. I mean, and I would say he's bold and he's
0: meek, he's gentle and he's strong. He was a lion and a lamb. Revelation 5 lays it out incredibly in this passage just listen to this. This is what Revelations 5 says. And I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it And then it goes on, then one of the elders said to me, weep not, lo, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then it goes on and says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and with golden bowls full of incense, which are prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy art thou to take the scroll and to open its seals, for thou was slain and by thy blood dost ransom men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That is just such a powerful passage, you know? Um, and, and it's just, I love how it calls even in that passage. It's highlighting how it, as a lamb, as a servant, he was being bold like a lion but it also specifically calls him a lamb and a lion. And I just thought that was interesting. And this whole conversation about, I love that quote from Piper, right? About Jesus is this incredible balance of these diverse qualities. And we are made in the image of God. And as Satan is trying to divide and attack us, We are falling prey to that, I feel like, among the church sometimes. You know, I hear Christians calling other Christians over the last, this has been mostly over the last couple of years, but I think with the things that are coming in this world, um, in the political realm, I think this is just going to continue. You know, we have Christians calling their brothers and sisters publicly, you know, sheep, not in like a biblical way, but in like a worldly way, you know, shaming them and Christians responding to that, telling those people they're wrong for being bold like lions. It's just such a mess and it's not biblical. I mean, the word of God literally calls his children both lions and sheep. You know, we are told, the world tells us, right? And we need to be so careful as the church, right? We are told you're either love, grace, and submission or boldness, truth, and justice. And as we move forward in answering this question of how to thwart Satan's strategy, we need to realize that is the coexisting of these attributes that can prevent us from judging each other, right? Because we are all sheep in the fold of the great shepherd. I mean, the very existence of your life is weakness and utter dependence on Jesus. You know, Jesus says the meek shall inherit the earth. He's commanded us to love our enemies. He with his very life died to save us, the people who defied our own creator. He said, we have been called to serve and to be servants. I mean, he showed us this. He literally bent down and washed the feet of sinners the king of the universe, you know? We're called to humility and love and to unity and to silence sometimes. But at the same time, Proverbs 28 says, the righteous are bold as lions. We are called lions. Philippians 1 says, we are to be afraid of any opponent. I mean, think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Their whole nation was bowing down, right? To... to, To worship and honor um, a false king, a false god, false idol, and they stood up in opposition. You think about Mordecai; he wasn't called to bow down and worship Haman, but he was called to bow down and honor him. And he knew that Haman was an evil man, and he didn't bow down. and And almost, well, not almost, because God was obviously sovereignly in control. But in the story, you know, to us as humans, he almost caused, you know, the the complete destruction of the Jewish people in that area because of not bowing down. You know, you think about Paul and Silas who boldly kept sneaking away, you know, and continued to share the gospel. You think about Jesus over and over repeatedly telling people they'll be sent to where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, seriously, just read the gospels, read Matthew 10 to 13, just read those three chapters. It's, it's over and over and over again. You will be punished. You will be sent. If you don't hate your family compared to your love for me, you're not worthy of me. He says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. It'll be more, he says, it'll be more bearable for Sodom than for you on the day of judgment. You know, it, it, he over and over calls out the prideful lawmakers of their day with their deception and says, you brood of vipers, you hypocrites, you whitewashed tombs. His boldness is insane, yet his servanthood and his meekness and humility is insane. It's both justice, truth, love, and peace. So we have to stop judging each other because we're all different and we're all called to different things, but we're one body. And Jesus says the world will know us by our love, right? And 1 Corinthians 13 tells us love always trusts, you know, and maybe God is calling us, like I said, to different responses, different strategies. You know, and we need to love and trust our brothers and sisters and prioritize unity in the church to combat Satan's desire and be aware of this pendulum and ask God to give us clarity of vision to not jump to one side only when it's not a black and white issue. And that brings us to the second point. The second thing Satan is trying to do right now that is on my heart is he is trying to deceive us. And he uses the division to perpetuate the lies. Like in the example um, I was talking about today, right? So to those people on the side of the pendulum, you know, who want to stand against injustice and gravitate gravitate towards like boldness and rebelling against corruption, Satan will lie. And he'll exasperate that pendulum. He'll exasperate that division. And he will say things secretly, say things that maybe we wouldn't say out loud, but say things to our heart like, Pay all your attention and energy to fixing this present world. This earth is your home. You have rights as an American. You know, your job or, or whatever country you're in, your job is to fight for your rights. You know, when that's not our primary job, the Bible says our job is very clearly in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the main thing. And our nationality, our allegiance is to the church. Scripture tells us you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are the nation to defend, the church, and Satan will deceive us and try and get those of us on this side of the pendulum to live in light and to not live in the light and to subconsciously believe these lies then you jump to the other side of the pendulum, right? To those who would gravitate towards towards just focusing on this one side of Jesus, right? Jesus Or Jesus to this one, um, certain attributes of Jesus, right? Like Jesus is love, grace, peace, all of those attributes, like we talked about, which are 100% hugely accurate, you know? But th- instead of seeing it in a whole picture, Satan will say things like, well, you know what? Jesus is just love. And it's not loving to clearly and boldly say that we don't get to choose who we are and who we're uh, romantically attracted to. Only God has that right. That's not loving to say that. Satan will say things like, uh, don't be like those crazy rebellious people, you know, believe in your, believe your government, the rulers that are in charge, you know, don't analyze for yourself. Uh, you know, it's not wrong to use aborted baby cells to create medicines. You know, there's a greater good, just keep the peace and be quiet. You know, otherwise people will be turned off from the gospel. Those are lies that Satan will tell people who go to one side of that pendulum. And to that, to those lies, I would like to read one of my favorite passages in scripture. It's in John six, when Jesus had thousands of people following him, right? And he's preaching in the synagogues. He's preaching in the, in the multitudes. And instead of trying to keep all of those people so that they could have the chance to learn more about him and to see the gospel more and more, he began to say very confusing, deep things. It's like, it literally, this is just my opinion, but it literally almost seems like he was like, trying to get people to leave. He started saying, you know, if you eat my flesh and drink my, if you don't eat my flesh and don't drink my blood, you have no life in you. So I want to read John six, starting in verse 60. It says, on hearing this, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit of life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And here it is. Simon Peter answered, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the holy one of God." So it doesn't matter if I disagree or don't like what you say basically. Where will I go? You're the god you're god. You're it. Such powerful words. So today, you know, my encouragement is to be aware, right? In whatever specific situation may be in your life right now or in the area you live in, whatever situation's coming to our world, that we prioritize the unity of the church and combat Satan's desire to divide. And at the same time, we be aware of his desire to deceive and ground ourselves firmly in the word of God building an intimate relationship with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the source, right? He's the source of our ability, not just to like be bold for truth, but to even see the truth. He is the source of our ability to love even our enemies and specifically to love those in our family, right? Those of us in the light. I mean, in, in all honesty, without the strength of the Holy Spirit filling me, I I legitimately even just struggle loving my own family. You know, of course I love my kids and my husband, but actually feeling it in a deep way and having my actions not be obligation, but love, I mean, that can only come by the power of the Spirit. He truly is our bread. And that's why in the mornings, you know, when I pray the Lord's Prayer and I pray, give us this day our daily bread, I'm just begging God, God, give me you. You are my bread. I cannot do this without you. We are desperate and fully dependent on him. And that is a good thing because in our weakness, he is strong. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we as the church will continue to refine, unite, and be a light to the world so that those in darkness can see and be saved. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you have a second, please share
1: this episode with someone you love. Also, if you could scroll down and rate our podcast and follow us on social media at Abiding Free, this will help us reach more with the message of freedom.
0: Yeah, and then just be sure to join us next week for another episode and know we love and are praying for you.